Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, Japan Airlines 1628. That's correct, Japan Airlines Flight 1628. Now this happened back in November of 1986. And this concerns the UFO sighting that happened up there in Anchorage, up inside the Arctic Circle, by this Japan Airlines pilot. It involved uh, several smaller UFOs, eventually with the sighting of a large mothership, uh, larger than an aircraft carrier. If you can imagine this thing, just imagine yourself being that Japanese airplane pilot flying that cargo plane, I don't know, 35, 40,000 feet above sea level. And there you see a UFO the size of an aircraft carrier that had to be something something really special. Now the first article I come to here is from the WashingtonPost.com and this was written just after it happened. And the dateline on this is January 2nd, 1987 by Jeffrey Berliner. It says, UFO sighting confirmed by FAA Air Force radar. So this isn't just something that somebody says, hey I saw something. This was an actual sighting by an airline pilot and it was also confirmed by FAA radar. It says Anchorage, Alaska, January 1st. A veteran pilot whose UFO sighting was confirmed on radar screens Tuesday said mysterious said the mysterious object was so enormous that it dwarfed his Japan Airlines cargo plane. Captain Kinju Teruchi, the pilot, also said he saw two other small unidentified objects smaller than his cargo carrier that did not appear on radar. Teruchi, his co-pilot and flight engineer, told Federal Aviation Administration investigators that they saw the lights of an unidentified object on the evening of November 17th. They were flying parallel and then suddenly approached very close, said Teruchi, 47, who requested and received FAA permission to take whatever action was necessary to avoid the object that appeared for a time on FAA and Air Force radar and on the radar screen in the cockpit of JL Flight 1628. The article continues. It says FAA confirmed on Tuesday that government radar picked up the object that Teriuchi said followed his Boeing 747 cargo jet. Now keep in mind, this thing was a cargo jet. So he's comparing these UFOs to what he's flying. So even the smaller ones are pretty good sized. And the mothership he sees just completely dwarfs this 747, which is quite a large airplane. Even... Even more to consider that this happened back in 1987. So this is 33 uh, years ago, or almost. Taken in that reference, in that frame of mind, this must have been just a spectacular uh, experience for this pilot. Teriuchi, a pilot for 29 years, said he briefly glimpsed a large unknown object in silhouette. Quote, it was a very big one. Two times bigger than an aircraft carrier, he said. Teriuchi made a drawing of how he thought the objects looked. He drew a giant walnut-shaped object with big bulges above and below a wide, flattened brim. The captain, who was stationed in Anchorage with his family, was flying the jumbo jet from Iceland to Anchorage on a European to Japan flight. When the crew encountered the object in clear weather over Alaska... 
Teriyuchi said that three unidentified objects followed his jet for 400 miles. Now, see, that would have been quite a while. Even at 400 miles an hour, uh, the, uh, even the 747, say, traveling over 500 miles an hour, this would have been a good half hour, 45 minutes, close to an hour that he's having this UFO encounter. It was unbelievable, he said, acknowledging that some of his colleagues have doubts about what the crew saw. FAA investigators who questioned the crew in Anchorage concluded in a report that the crew was normal, professional, rational, and had no drug or alcohol involvement. The crew's flying experience totals more than 46 years, the pilot said. Now, before we continue, I want you to think about this for just a second. They're flying over the Arctic Circle from Iceland to Japan. And, you know, that just makes my mind wander a little bit when we think about all the stories we've heard about UFO activity over the Arctic and the North Pole, both poles actually, but especially the North Pole, to have this happen in such in such a remote location. Tarachi said the crew was not frightened, but wanted to avoid whatever was lit up in the in their flight path. We wanted to escape from this. They followed FAA directives to drop 4,000 feet and make turns, including a three. 160-degree turn. But Terry said they were still falling us. So here we go. These guys dropped almost a mile in the sky, made a complete circle, and these UFOs were still following them. He said the evasive maneuvers were of no avail, and the lights stayed close, once appearing in front of the cockpit. Now that would really have to get your attention as a pilot. You're traveling at these speeds, and this thing is just sitting right in front of you. FAA pilot control reports indicate the object stayed with JLA Flight 628 for at least 32 minutes. Teriuchi said he thought it was longer. The flight controllers directing the JLA plane reported the object on his radar was as close as 5 miles to the jet. Now remember, these things are traveling at speeds in excess of 500 miles an hour. The, the, you know, your typical cargo plane. So being within 5 miles... My gosh, you know, that's that, that's that's just not that far. I mean, that's like something being within 500 feet at highway speed if you're driving. This, these things are really, don't seem to have a lot of concern about, about uh, putting this airplane in danger. Or maybe they knew that the plane was in no danger just because of their own capabilities. I don't know, but it's very strange. Terry actually said the objects moved quickly. And stopped suddenly. He referred to the objects as the two small ships and the mothership. Teriyuchi said jokingly that he thought the UFOs might have followed his charter cargo plane because we were carrying Beaujolais, a very famous wine made in France. Maybe they want to drink it. Well, maybe um, they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, I'd link this article at the Twitter account, UFO Warning. Get there, of course, by going to at Warning sub UFO. While you're there, go ahead and do a follow. Um, there were a couple of other articles I thought was kind of cool. Now that was the first article that we came from the Washington Post, and that was you know pretty much contemporaneous. Now we have another article here that I linked to from AnchoragePress.com, and this one here came out on uh, August 30th, 2019. So you know five six months ago. It's written by Lawrence D. Weiss, and it says, Unfriendly Skies, the Extraordinary Flight of JAL-1628, Alaska's best-known 
UFO encounter, and it has a picture of the of the pilot there, and it says um, November seventeenth of this year will mark the thirty third anniversary. Of course, it'll be thirty fourth this year of one of the best documented UFO cases ever, and it happened in the skies above Alaska. Three UFOs played tag with Japan Airlines JAL cargo flight 1628 for 50 minutes while they were visually observed by a sometimes terrified flight crew. During the last 30 minutes, UFOs were tracked on military and civilian radar. So you can see here that this author is uh, has, has talked to both the crew... And the ground crew. So they're they're telling you that, yeah, we had them on 30 minutes on radar, but then we also had them on another 20 minutes where the radar didn't track them, but the ground crew did. And this is kind of cool because it's showing you that they are um, they're paying attention to what the eyewitness says, and they are according that with some veracity. They're letting you know that, that they actually believe what they're being told by these folks. It says, during the last 30 minutes of the UFO's where the, in the last 30 minutes, UFOs were tracked on military and civilian radar, and the entire encounter was verified by high-level administrator by a high-level administrator of the Federal Aviation or FAA. The incident received media coverage all over the world. Here's what happened. It goes on. It says Japan Airlines captain Kenju Terichu was an ex-fighter pilot and senior airline pilot with more than 10 thousand hours flight experience. He was assigned to fly a Japan airline cargo flight from Paris to Reykjavik Anchorage and on to Tokyo. So here we go. This is quite a long flight actually from Paris to Iceland and then to Anchorage. But this guy comes with some pretty solid credentials, this Japanese pilot does. Captain Kenshu Teruchi. Says he was a former fighter pilot, ten thousand hours of experience. Seems like the ideal eyewitness. On November 17th, 5.09 p.m. Alaska time, the Anchorage Air Route Traffic Control Center contacted JAL 1628, which at that time was about 104 miles northeast of Fort Yukon. The flight controller asked the pilot to adjust his heading so the plane would pass south of Fort Yukon and Fairbanks. The co-pilot turned the plane to the left about 15 degrees. Captain Terichi, sitting on the left side of the cockpit, saw unidentified lights out of his side window to the left and below. He thought they were military planes and ignored them. After a few minutes, he realized that these unidentified aircraft were pacing him. Flight 1628 contacted the Anchorage Center twice in rapid succession and asked if there were any other aircraft in the area. Now, you can start to see they're becoming a little bit alarmed here. And, of course, why wouldn't they be? It says, The Anchorage Center responded that there were no military aircraft and ground radar did not show any aircraft other than Flight 1628. Then the two lights began to move in an erratic manner. <clears throat> Terry Cheek recollected in his official report to the FAA listed here and below and edited for length and clarity. It says the distance from the lights was far enough from us, and we felt no immediate danger. I thought perhaps it is a UFO. The lights were still moving strangely. Most unexpectedly, two spaceships appeared directly in front of the plane, shooting off lights. The inside cockpit shined brightly. 
and I felt the warmth of the UFO's thruster on my face. Now, this is a little scary. Now, if you've watched the Netflix series Hangar 1, when they talk about this, and they have a really good uh, animation, and you basically see this acorn-shaped UFO that's just off the front of the 747, and it literally thrusts you know, its exhaust out, or whatever you want to call that, and shoots up into the air. And they tell us that the pilot could, at that point could feel the heat coming off these thrusters. That's the heat's transferring through the windshield of that plane he's flying. You have to wonder if it's actually a thermal heat or if it's some kind of radiation that he's feeling coming off this thing. It says, then three to seven seconds later, the fire, like from jet engines, stopped, became a small circle of lights as they began to fly in level as it began to fly in level flight at the same speed as we were. The middle of the body of the ship sparked an occasional stream of lights, like a charcoal fire. Its shape was a square, flying 500 feet to 1,000 feet in front of us, very slightly higher in altitude than us. Its size was about the same size as the body of a DC-8, similar in size to a Boeing 707. And it's impossible for any man-made machine to make a sudden appearance in front of a jumbo jet that is flying 910 kilometers an hour, that's about, what, 600 miles an hour, and to move along in a formation paralleling our aircraft. But we did not feel threatened or in danger. Honestly, we were simply astounded. I have no idea why they came so close to us. You know, as I read this a little bit, and I hear some of the things that this pilot Terry she's saying it almost seems like he's comfortable with the notion that these things are UFOs I wonder if he didn't have experiences in the past it says there was a pair there was a pale white flat light in the direction where the ships flew away pacing us the Anchorage Center replied that they saw nothing on their radar I set a radar weather distance to 20 miles radar angle to horizon there it was on the screen a large green round object had appeared seven or eight miles away in the direction of the object. We arrived at the sky above Edelson Air Force Base in Fairbanks. It was a clear night. We were just above the bright city lights and we checked the pale white light behind us. There was a silhouette of a gigantic spaceship. We must get away quickly. A terrified Captain Teriuchi, in coordination with Anchorage Center, attempted Evasive maneuvers such as flying in a circle and changing altitude. The gigantic UFO, later described by Terry Chu as the size of two aircraft carriers, shadowed flight 1628 through all maneuvers. Now you can definitely see an acceleration in the anxiety level of these pilots. They didn't seem to be too concerned when they were seeing a couple of UFOs uh, zipping around them, pacing them darting back and forth in front of them when those UFOs were the same size as them. It almost is like uh, they accepted that these were UFOs and these UFOs were just here maybe as an object of curiosity. But I notice that when they see this giant mothership behind them, twice the size of an aircraft carrier, uh, their alert level kind of goes off the charts a little bit. I kind of wonder if at this point, if they didn't start to feel like they had been... Uh, stocked a little bit, as if these these two UFOs that they'd previously seen, these smaller ones, were, were there to 
Um, it was almost as if they were being hunted. And now you have this giant mothership behind them that could have easily swallowed them up. I don't know, but it seems almost like their spidey senses had gone off. Churchies says, Wondered and feared as to their purpose, Anchorage Center offered to scramble a military jet, but Captain Terrici declined the offer, fearing unintended consequences of a military confrontation with a UFO. About that time, a United Airlines passenger jet flew into the same air zone and was requested by ATC to get a visual on the situation. Terrici reported that when the United plane came by our side, the spaceship disappeared suddenly. The strange encounter ended 150 miles away from Anchorage. In 1986, John Callahan, and remember that name because we're going to talk about him a little bit, John Callahan was FAA Division Chief of the Accidents and Investigations Branch in Washington, D.C. About a week after the JAL 1628 incident, he got an urgent call from Alaska Callahan's recollections were recorded in an interview conducted in circa 2000. His comments, too, are edited here for brevity and clarity. It says, I forgot who it was that called, but he says we got a problem here. I don't know what to tell the media. The whole FAA office is full of the media from Alaska. Callahan asked, what's the problem? He says, it's, the UFO. it's that UFO. I said, what UFO? He says, well, last week we had a UFO chase a 747 across the sky up here for about 30 minutes or so. I told him to get all that data together. I wanted all the civilian and military disks that they had and all the tapes that they had available and flown overnight to the tech center where I'm sitting. Now, this reminds us of what happened... Uh, there back in, what, 2000, 2014, was it, when we had the incident with the Nimitz off the uh, coast of Catalina? Or was that 2004? And they told us how the men in black came on board and took what they called the brick, which is all that radar data that proved that those UFOs were in the area. And we're seeing that again here. He's saying, get all the data. So we have, we have electronic evidence of what this Japanese pilot has told us that they've seen, these two UFOs that were tracked, and I suppose even the mothership. And it goes on, it says, the military refused to send their tapes, but he got everything Anchorage Traffic Control had. We told him that we wanted this room set up to be just like it was in, An like it was in Anchorage, and we wanted all that data to come to the scope radar monitor, and we wanted to see everything the controller has seen. We wanted to hear everything he heard, and we wanted it all tied together, the radar, digital radar, and the sound. When Callahan played the tapes, he heard a three-way conversation between Anchorage Air, the Traffic Control, ATC, Elmdorf's NORAD Regional Operations Control Center, and Captain Teriuchu of JL-1628. He also played a tape of the ATC radar, <clears throat> sightings on the <clears throat> on a scope. Anchorage Air Traffic Control didn't see the UFOs on their radar, but based on their conversation, the military was clearly tracking the UFOs. Callahan explained, the military controller has what they call height-finding radar, and they have long-range radar and short-range radar, so if they don't catch it on one of these systems... They catch it on the other. Ours wouldn't record it. Details reported by the military controller indicate 
that the UFOs were traveling thousands of miles per hour as they maneuvered in, their, <clears throat> in the airspace around the 747. The military controller had one other surprise finding. Near the end of the incident, a United Airlines flight was, was diverted to observe the JAL flight. By then, Captain Teriyuchi no longer saw the huge UFO. The United pilot did not see it either. Unbeknownst to both of them, the military clearly indicated that the UFO had tucked in and out of sight behind the United flight and had begun following it. Wow, now that is amazing. So this JAL flight has this giant mothership twice the size of an aircraft carrier behind it and suddenly this thing's moving around over the top whatever and it's behind the united flight just it's hard to wrap your mind around that how an object twice the size of an aircraft carrier could move at thousands of miles per hour and go undetected by the pilots that are right in that proximity but the army radar did see it it says here, it says, after, si after sitting through the presentation, Callahan's boss turned to him and said, don't talk to anybody until I give you the okay. The next day, his boss set up a briefing. According to Callahan, I brought all the people from the tech center. We went upstairs. We had all kinds of boxes of data that we handed them. Printouts. It filled up the room. They brought in three people from the FBI, three people from the CIA, and three people from Reagan's scientific study team. And I don't know who the rest of the people were. They were all excited. Callahan and his staff showed the assemblage, everything they had, and answered a lot of technical questions. When they got done, they, they actually swore all these other guys they actually swore all these other guys into this never took place. We never had this meeting, and this was never recorded. This was one of the guys from the CIA. I asked them at the time, I don't know why you're saying this. I mean, if there was something there, and it's not, then in development, stealth bomber, then you know it's a UFO. And if it's a UFO, why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you want the people to know? And he said, if they come out and told the American public that they ran into a UFO out there, it would cause panic across the country. So therefore, we can't talk about it. And we're talking, and we're taking all this data. They did, but Callahan had copies of everything in his office. So here we go. <laughs> Another one of these cases where we have a cut and dried UFO sighting, multiple eyewitnesses, uh, multiple sources of radar. They've got the evidence. They've got They've got, and just what they've got is amazing. They don't even have the actual radar images from the Army, but they have the Army personnel talking about it enough and describing it contemporaneously that they know what they've seen. So this is basically a cut-and-dry case of a sighted UFO, multiple UFO sighting. So what happens? Even back in 1987, well, or 86, what happens? They send in, they send in the spooks, and the spooks say... You know what? Shut your mouth. You didn't see anything. So look concerning really how this is handled. The exact opposite of disclosure. And of course, the excuse they use is that if the public finds out about this, they'll go nuts. You know what? Pre-COVID, I might have said the public can handle it. But having seen the way that people react 
to a off-the-wall variety of the flu and how they freaked out about this thing, I'm starting to tend to agree with the CIA. I think that the average public might just go nuts over something like this if they had to face the reality of this UFO sighting. Now, this article finishes up. It says, When they asked me what I thought, I told them that it looked like we had a UFO that was up there. As far as I was concerned, Reagan's science team were the ones that verified my own thoughts about it. They were very, very excited about the data. They had said at the time that this was the, <clears throat> that this was the only time they had used the words a UFO. Was never recorded on radar, <clears throat> was, never, was ever recorded on radar for any length of time. Now think about it, they've got this UFO, this basically this fleet, the two small UFO and the mothership at least. The Army has it recorded for over 30 minutes, actual physical uh, electronic recording of this thing. At the very end of the article, it says epilogue. Within months of the incident, Captain Teriyuchi was banished to a desk job because he had embarrassed the company. He was fully reinstated a few years later. John Callahan retired from the FAA, became an industry consultant, and periodically recounted the true story of JAL Flight 1628. Wow. Now, I have another article there posted uh, on the Twitter account um, with Callahan, and you can go into that. It's a little longer version. It has the actual UFO um, interview there. And I also have... Um, a first-hand description by Terry Chi, the pilot. We go into a little bit more about what he actually saw that day, which what we've described here, the two UFO and the, and the mothership, as he describes them in his own words. And if you go back and you look at this case, it's, it's just such a classic case of what we see so often in these things. But what, much, what makes this case so interesting to me is that we have a whole crew of professional pilots that have this 50 minute long encounter with this with these two basically scout UFOs and the mothership we have a, a 50 minute encounter with them and then we have actually we have 30 minutes of hard evidence I think 32 minutes where the army actually tracked this thing where they we have evidence we have the bleeps on the radar screen we have the guys talking about it as they see these objects moving around as they said at thousands of miles per hour and then we have the united airlines passenger plane coming into the scene and we have the radar evidence showing this thing moving around and behind them so we have four three ufo's interacting with two large jet airliners. Just amazing. And it's all recorded on radar, even back in 1987. Then we have the investigation that happens afterwards. And, you know, of course, we a lot of us know about some of uh, President Reagan's uh, UFO encounters. He did seem to have a very uh, healthy interest in the subject. And so it's I think it's cool that he had this whole science committee set up for it. He gets his guys up there. Can you see what Reagan was doing? It was like he was going uh, outside of the normal chain of command. Because he probably knew that if he didn't get some of his men on the ground in that meeting, 
that he would never find out what was going on, and neither would the rest of the country or even the rest of the non-deep state employees. But you can also see what's happening here with the CIA showing up and saying, hey, everybody shut up, this is all big secret. Well, they didn't have the right to do that. But that was her first inclination, was to put a lid on it, to deny, debunk, the opposite of disclosure. So even clear back in 1987, you could just see these different... Um, these different interests, these different power structures at work. We had this uh, Japanese airline pilot who, maybe for a cultural reason, or maybe because he was just a super qualified, super cool guy, he just didn't care that what people thought. He saw this. He had this. He had this 50-minute interaction with these UFOs and this giant UFO mothership, and he just instinctively knew that he needed to tell people about it, and he did, thankfully. We have we have this aspect of it. We have uh, Callahan from the FAA, and it just seems like just seems like a very much a duty bound bureaucrat who does his job and gets this investigation going. And you know, so thankful that we have people like that. And then we have President Reagan, who seems to seems to seems to have a really uh, you know for whatever people can say about this guy, he's had experiences with UFO sightings himself. So he's autumn, he he's prepared for this sort of a situation. He has his he has his science committee set up and ready to go. And what's he do? Man, he dispatches these guys on the spot. And you can say what you want to about this some seventy eight year old man, however old he was, but he got his guys there. And I, that's just so reassuring that you know, as a president, he had enough intuition to to get his people on the ground and to get this recorded for us. He did this for us and his own self. And then you have the CIA. They're kind of the, almost like the shadow government there. And what are they there for? Well, they're there to make sure that, number one, the Army does not give you the actual evidence. But Callahan doesn't care, man, because he's got the evidence from the local Anchorage airport. And that's enough. He has the voice conversations going back and forth between the people that are operating this civil radar installation talking to the army guys that are operating the military radar installation. And just their conversations enough, them talking about, hey, this is what I see. This brings this eyewitness account right into play. So for once, and this and this is so infrequently like that this happens. But my favorite thing about this case is that you have so many good actors that they outweigh and over-leverage the bad actors. You have what I think is an honest president with an honest sense of curiosity who really does want to tell people what's going on. He gets his men in there. You have a what appears to be a fine civil servant. He does the investigation, and he and he's not intimidated by the spooks. And you have this Japanese air crew, especially the pilot, who's courageous enough to talk about what happened. So when you line up all these players against the deep state actors, such as the CIA, when the CIA says, this never happened, you can't talk about it, shut up, everybody else just says, no, we're not going to shut up. We're, we're going to talk about this. And they did. And that's the reason why this case is still being talked about over 33 years later. Fascinating case. Stop by the Twitter account. You can go to the links, read some of the stuff. Uh, you can check out the episode on Hangar on Netflix. I can't remember exactly what episode it, it was involved in, but it was pretty true to the story, I thought. Fascinating story. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.